Well, what things, when, when I was reading about uh, this passage and, and Jesus fasting and going without food, I was thinking about what things are, are common to all mankind, um, you know, eating being one of them. You, you can actually go a very long time without eating and, and survive, but, um, but nonetheless, eventually you will keel over if you don't eat. Um, the other things in, that we have in common, I guess, is uh, breathing. Um, you know, what's the limit for not breathing? It's probably a few minutes, I imagine. Uh, but after that, you're likely to not be very well. Uh, drinking depends on the temperature, but you know, you need to drink a lot more often than you need to, to eat. Uh, but, and actually, after that, it's pretty hard to think of things that are common to everyone. Um, you know, we, we see, but not everyone sees. We hear, not everyone hears. We walk, but not everyone walks. Um, there's, there's actually not a lot that, of other things apart from those that, that we have in common. Um, you know, I mean, those, those three are essential for life, aren't they? If you stop, you'll stop. But there is actually one more I thought of that, that happens to all and humans and it's common to, to all mankind and that is temptation. Um, it, it must be so because the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, you know, in, temptation is not the same as sin but sin follows temptation as night follows day. Well, well no, not quite. It's, it's not quite that simple, is it? Um, there are, there are uh, I mean, everybody has sinned except. Everyone has sinned except. We, we, if we divided the whole of mankind who've ever lived into, in, into two groups, those who've sinned and those who haven't, we would have Jesus in one group, not really a group, but Jesus in it, and everybody else who's ever lived in the other group. So, you know, a very tiny percentage of people who've lived have not sinned but 100% of people who've lived have been tempted. Uh, you know, 100% of people who've lived have breathed, 100% have been tempted. So here today in this reading we've got Jesus, the Lord Jesus, being tempted by the devil. And, and it comes straight after his baptism, which must have been a, a great spiritual high for him, you would think. I mean, it is for a lot of people, their baptism is a, a big moment in their lives. Um, but how much more so when you hear the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased. It must have been a, you know, like, it's, it, it kind of brings up this question of Jesus' development as the Messiah. You know, I know he was born as the Messiah, but he wasn't born... You know, he, the Muslims say he was born spouting scripture and things like this when he was a baby. Well, that, that's not so because it, we know that's not so. He, he clearly developed from being a child to, to being an adult and, and his baptism was clearly a, a large step in that, in that development um, to, hear God, to hear his father's voice saying, you are my son whom I love. And so he's come straight from that and, and then just in Luke's account there's this the, um, the, the account of Jesus' um, uh, uh, what do you call it? ancestry, uh, which includes some famous names, of course, Abraham, um, David, Noah, uh, 
the son of, it finishes with the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's all this amazing stuff leading up to his temptation. And yet, here he is being tempted. You would kind of think, I mean, I kind of think that, yeah, just thinking as a, as a, a worldly man, that maybe his father would not allow him to be subjected to that sort of temptation. Uh, you know, to be completely shielded from it because it's, you know, why? Why is he tempted? Um, I mean, God the Father, he shields us from temptation that we cannot handle. He, he will not allow us to fall. He will not allow the devil to tempt us beyond to the, to the point where we are led away from God, so where we, where we will not be saved. But no, Jesus here has been tempted by the devil the same way that we are. The same way that we are. I mean, think about that for a minute. Like Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that he was tempted in every way that we are. When, we, when you think about that, think about what, what is your weakest point. What is it that tempts you most in this world? Jesus was tempted in the same way. So... Let's look at the, the mechanics of it. How, how was he tempted? He was fasting. He wasn't just going without his evening meal or giving up chocolate for Lent or something like that. He was going, he's gone 40 days without eating. I remember talking to a bloke once who claimed to me that he'd fasted for that long, uh, eaten nothing. Um, I'm not 100% sure of that he was telling me the truth. But I remember him saying that after, after one week of, of eating nothing, he could smell a steak cooking from two miles away. <laughs> uh, and I believe it. I mean, if you put a, a nice rump steak with mushroom sauce in front of me now, I'd probably be tempted to tell you to talk among yourself for a while while I went out <laughs> into the kitchen. You know, and I've had breakfast. I, I'm not even hungry. So imagine what 40 days fasting would be like. Um, uh, but just as a, as a little aside though, it does show the, the, the difference between me and Jesus, and, and, and I mean one of the differences, and, and between you and Jesus as well I think. I mean if I was hungry, really hungry, and Satan tempted me by holding a rock in front of me, uh, you know, it's not going to work is it? Uh, I mean I could no more turn this rock into a, into a loaf of bread than I could turn it into a Porsche. It's, uh, Jesus, though, was obviously at this stage aware that he had the ability to do this. And so for him it was a real temptation, whereas for us it would, be, it w- would not be so. Um, yeah, it tells us that, that even at this early stage he was aware that he, he was different to other people. So for him the temptation was really not so much make this stone into bread so that you won't so you can eat it and then you won't be hungry anymore. It was more Jesus, what are you going to do with this ability that you have, with these powers that you have? Um, are you going to use them for your own benefit to take away your hunger? Um, your own comfort? Or are you going to be true to the mission that you've been sent? Uh, because it wouldn't be just here in the wilderness with the devil. Uh, right throughout his ministry, it must have been uh, very 
Jesus must have daily faced this temptation, what do I do with this, this ability, these powers that I have? I mean, he could have um, performed a whole lot of miracles and um, made himself very popular and made everyone really happy uh, in the way he did it. Or the other option is to do what God wants and, and that led to the cross, to do the miracles on the Sabbath, to heal people who and then tell them that their sins were forgiven and all these things were going to lead to the cross. So Jesus has a decision here and, it, and it's not a completely straightforward one. Uh, remember, remember he'd just heard this voice from heaven saying, you are my son. And the tempter is really playing on this. I mean, did, did I really hear the voice? Did you really hear the voice? Was it really your father or did... Was it something else? Because now Satan is casting doubt on this. He's saying, if you are the son of God, then tell this stone to become bread. And it must have been actually quite tempting for Jesus just to, to go ahead and do it, to, to, to prove to himself and to prove, prove to Satan that he really was who he, who he said he was. But no, instead he shows us really what stout resistance to temptation looks like. Um, go to the word of God. That, that was, that's the beginning of resistance, isn't it? It is written. There's a notion current in our society, probably always has been, that, that words are, have no value. Um, you know, the um, motto of the school up here, factus non verbis, deeds not words. Uh, you, and it's... It's true. You know, nobody likes the, the man who, who says he, all these things he's done or going to do and then he doesn't do them. It's not, that's not good either. But words have great power when they're backed up by great authority. I mean, all of us, when we come to a stop sign on a railway crossing, we stop because the government tells us to. The government has authority to do that. How much more so when God tells us something, it is written. And uh, so Jesus' response is not, well, you know, I'm strong enough to resist you, Satan, uh, you know, or telling Satan to buzz off or something. No, it's, it is written. And that's the end of the matter. Satan doesn't start arguing with Jesus about, well, you know, the book of Deuteronomy, written a long time ago, it might have been changed a lot since then, and you know, all, all the arguments we hear today, um, full of contradictions. You know, how can you, how can you believe? He, he doesn't even bother. It's just, it's pretty much the end of the matter when Jesus said, it is written, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, you know, if you try to live on bread alone, on food alone, you'll die. Um, you know, you'll still walk around and breathe and those things and look like you're living, but you'll die. We cannot live on bread alone. Would, it, would this answer of Jesus work for us um, when we, if we're tempted, as we all are, I think, to, to eat too much sometimes? Well, I don't know, give it a try. Think to yourself, man does not give, live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God.
So next, Satan tries the temptation of power. And he says that, look, I'm in charge of this world and I can give it to whoever I want. And I can give it to you if you'll just worship me. Well, is Satan in charge? Is he in charge of this world? It's a bit of a frightening thought. I mean, several times in the New Testament that that is seems to be being taught. Uh, probably the most explicit one is um, in the first letter of John, um, in chapter 5. It says... Um, that the whole world, this is in verse 19, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. But let's look at it in its context. This is what we must do with, with all scripture. If we just go back to verse 18, it says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. And then it says we know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. But we also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So yes, Satan has some power in this world, but he... He does not have um, ultimate power. There, there's there's a few, quite a few places similar to that in Scripture where uh, the suggestion is that the devil um, is in charge and that we should actually fear him. But those verses are universally swamped by the hundreds that talk of the ultimate power and the sovereign rule of God. Uh, you know, just think of the obvious ones, like the book of Job. Sure, Satan did a lot of damage to Job, but only because God allowed him to. Um, Isaiah 45 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and I create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. So people who say that, um, that God never does anything bad to anyone, it, it simply isn't backed up by scripture. It, I mean, look what he did to Israel for their disobedience. Um, God will always do what is good and what is right for his people. And sometimes that involves bringing disaster on them. Psalm 107, uh, a long psalm about the sovereignty of God in all situations. And uh, as uh, Robin quoted earlier, Romans 8.28, all things work for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And, and all of Romans chapter 9 is a great chapter on the sovereignty of God in salvation about God's sovereign choice in all things. And of course, uh, Jesus' own words in John, tw in John 12, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out so, so the situation has improved since the cross. Jesus' death and resurrection brought victory over Satan. Um, the, the Apostle John in the Revelation, he saw Satan being thrown down to earth, full, full of anger, but because he knows his time is short. 
and he's thrashing about like a, like a dog that's tied up on a mad dog, tied up on a chain. And within the reach of his chain, he can do a lot of damage. But surely the, the great message of Revelation is that God wins and that God is in charge and he has all the power. But anyway, Satan tries to tempt Jesus with power. Uh, you know, all you have to do, Jesus, is worship me. That's the only catch. Nope. The word says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It is written. Of course, Satan wasn't really uh, telling the whole truth here, is he? That the, the real power and authority is not his to give. And I think that that's true of everything that we are tempted with. Ultimately, no matter how much pleasure we are promised, uh, it's not going to satisfy us. It's a, it's a lie because Satan is the father of lies. Would it be tempting to Jesus, though, to be offered the power to rule the world? I mean, he's looking out on a world that's ruled by the Roman Empire, which is, for all the good things about it, was largely corrupt. There were a lot of people suffering, as there still is now. Uh, and he's being offered the chance to be the ruler of this, where he could fix all that up. But he would have to turn away from the reason that he was sent. He was sent to die. And so, yes, very tempting, but at the cost of worshipping Satan. Well, um, Satan thinks, well, third time lucky, one more try. Uh, and so he decides to quote scripture himself this time from Psalm 91. And uh, he says he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So this is when he's being up on the one of the pinnacles of the temple and Satan's saying, well, jump off because God will, will protect you. Prove that you really are the Son of God. This is what he's, how he introduces it again. If you are the Son of God, prove it. Prove it to yourself. Did you really hear his voice at your baptism or was it something else? Maybe it was just wishful thinking. Jump off, find out. Well, of course, what Satan is doing here is, is misusing Scripture. And why not? We, we hear every, lots of people doing it. We hear it all the time. You know, the, the favourite one in the same-sex marriage debate was, was judge not, lest ye be judged. Money is the root of all evil. No, it isn't. The love of money. Um, yeah, that's just a couple of examples. Psalm 91 also is not written as an instruction manual for seeing how far you can test God. It, it, rather, it's a psalm about the protection that God extends to those who dwell under the shadow, shelter of the Most High. Now, I remember hearing many years ago, it must be 40 years ago, of some young Christians who uh, set out to walk across the Nullarbor Plain. Um, with, and they took nothing with them. Not even, no water, nothing. And they, their reason was they said, well, God will provide what we want. And they, yeah... He, uh, I actually heard a, a bishop interviewed about this and he said, yeah, well, he said, I think, I think God will look after them but they're forgetting the scripture, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
So God's goodness and care for us is not something that we should be deliberately putting to the test to see if it's true, because it is true. Rather, it should be accepted and, to, and we should be thankful for it. I mean, in a way, Jesus was being tempted to do what liberal theology wants him to do, uh, what they expect of him, to, to sort of kill himself as an example of, um, of self-sacrifice. You know, that's what liberal theology often says. Well, Jesus' death was to show us how to, sa- how to give ourselves in sacrifice for, for others. But, but ultimately, it's, of course, it's like if I said, well, right now I'm going to show you how much I love you by going and tying up on top of the town hall and jumping off. Well, what is that, how does that help you? Of course it doesn't. It's just meaningless. But anyway, just like before, Jesus dismisses Satan with a, another quote, once again from Deuteronomy. All three quotes come from Deuteronomy. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And that's it. It's just finished, nothing more to say. So, And then we come to this, this interesting verse, verse 13. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. You know, I think there's times in our lives when temptation seems to be more severe and there's other times when, when it is less so. But there is never a time when we are free from temptation. Not for us, not for the Lord Jesus either. Not while we, not while we live on this earth. I mean, think of him and the, the disciples, the, the temptations they went to. Jesus, the, the great temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's tempted to, to give up on his mission, to not go to the cross. And Peter being tempted to deny the Lord Jesus. Judas being tempted to betray him. The disciples being tempted to run away. Now all of them succumb to the temptation except Jesus. I mean, did he not teach us to pray, lead us not into temptation? It's because it's all around us and deliver us from evil. We've all been tempted and will continue to be tempted and we've all given in to temptation except for the Lord Jesus who emerged from his trial victorious, his sinless record completely intact and with the power of the Spirit and everyone praised him, verse 15. Well, they all praised him for now. It's amazing the power of a truly righteous man, one whose life matches his words to attract people. You know, we see it often and, and, and we can be drawn to people like that. But if we hang around with them long enough, we'll find out the truth. If you follow someone long enough and it's not the Lord Jesus, you'll be disappointed. But not the Lord Jesus. He is alone is without sin. He alone, we will never be disappointed in. He alone resisted Satan and eventually we also will no more know temptation because of him. Will there be temptation in heaven? No, of course not. But how will that work? Why, well, how can we not be tempted? Well, it's pretty simple really because we'll have everything. There is nothing we will lack. And so what can we be tempted with? 
And perhaps that thought can help us here as well because the Bible tells us that we also now have everything we need. So remind Satan of that when he tempts you. You know, Paul said that he'd learnt to be content in all situations, in all circumstances, whether he had lots or whether he had little, he'd learnt to be content. It didn't come naturally to him, he had to learn it. And uh, I think that is the secret to overcoming temptation. In the, in the power of the Spirit, we can overcome temptation. But it helps so much to be content, to know that God has already given us everything that we actually do need. Let us also pray that we will not be tempted to deny God on our in extreme conditions, maybe on our deathbed when, we, when things aren't going well for us. Let us pray that we will not be tempted to deny him.